Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, February 12th, 2023 by Tom Job from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. But we, I got, we got an idea, Lee and I were thinking about, like kind of during the Lenten season, there's a verse in Luke chapter 22 where, um, so when Jesus, it was um, when he was about to be arrested and it was Passover time and his friends, his followers said, where are we gonna have the Passover? And Jesus said, go into the city and you'll see a guy with a water jar on his head, just follow him to a house and, that, and you'll find everything is already prepared by people you don't really know. So they, it said that they did, they went into the city, there was a guy with a water jar, they followed him, they went into a house and everything, and it said, it said they found everything just as Jesus said it would be. And I just kind of got stuck on that and I thought, you know, that is true of a lot of things, a lot of attitudes of the human heart that Jesus sometimes would say amazing and astounding things about the human situation. And as you walk through your life, you find that is so true. I have found this, or I have found that to be exactly as Jesus said it would be. So we're just talking about things like that. So there's one in Matthew chapter six, it's verse 22 and 23. It's an astounding statement. But Jesus said, your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, it is a great darkness. Lord Jesus, I do feel like we can't really live well without understanding that. And so I ask you to help us to understand what that means and what you meant and what you mean it to mean to us. I want to live well. This is our only chance to do it. So help us in your precious name. Amen. So there are, like a lot of times, when you're looking at something and you think you're seeing something and you're not really seeing what you think you're seeing. Like I remember one time it was a, one of the cartoons of the guy that used to do the cartoon, The Far Side. And you were just looking at this scene of, it was like middle-aged Clark Kent and his wife, and they were just having just kind of a pleasant evening sitting in their living room, and he was knitting the paper, reading the paper, and she was knitting, she was like stitching up his cape that had some like rips in it and stuff, and you just thought, this is a sweet domestic scene of the Kents just having a sweet evening together, but the, but the title of it was Tension in the Kent household. And then you realize that where she was stitching, right after the S, she had stitched the letters T-U-P-I-D. So, the, the, uh, so it, I, you weren't really looking at what you thought you were looking at, but there was a guy who, there was a guy who um, wrote a book of, of a study. He was a psychiatrist. In, I think this was like in 1909. Um, I was talking to, to Katie about it the other day, that, that, but it was, um, it's a book called Sight and Space. And basically, they had come up with a real 
innovative operation for people who were born with cataracts. And, and so they were blind their whole life, and it was removing their cataracts, and suddenly they could see. But he realized it's one thing to be able to see something, but it's another thing to be able to understand it, like to, to, un, to interpret that information in your brain. So people who could automatically, like say in their, in their young adulthood or middle adulthood, could all this, it was like 67 patients who could, inst, who could immediately see, but it took them weeks to be able to understand what that information was, like when they were looking at something, what they were actually seeing. So it would take them weeks to be able to look and tell the difference between an orange and an an apple and a banana just by looking at them. But as soon as they touched them, they immediately knew what they were. It would take them weeks to, under, to distinguish the face of their mate if they were in a group of other people from the faces of other people. They just couldn't tell which one was their mate by looking. That, but as soon as they touched them, they could tell that it was so difficult for them to understand that if you were talking to someone and then the person walks away, why? in just a short period of time, are they two inches tall? And they're just like, how are they getting to be two inches tall? Like they just did not understand what they were, what they were looking at. And one person to, to navigate her house, the only way she could do it was to close her eyes, you know, because that's what she was, and a couple of them, the, uh, their, their, blind, their blindness returned. And they really kind of felt relieved because they were finally in a world that they could understand. A lot of times when you're looking at something, you're, it, it's not, it looks, it, when you're looking at something, you're not really seeing what you think you're seeing. Like one person said, this is apparently true. I'm gonna try it out the next time we go to the Smokies. But they said, if you look at a waterfall, like if you were looking at a waterfall and you just stare at the water, just staring at the water, and then there's rocks on this side, rocks on this side. If you close your eyes for one second and then look at the rocks, the rocks will look like they're going up. But they're not going up. It's just you've been looking at the water coming down. Like there's the place on Lakeshore Avenue in, in um, Lakeshore Drive in Chicago where it was a turn that was a little bit too tight and people kept having accidents there. So what they did was right before you get into the turn when they were painting the lines on the street, they would paint the lines closer together and it made you feel like you were speeding up because the lines were going by faster and everybody would automatically slow down because they thought something that wasn't really true in what they were, what they were seeing. So... Like, do you ever have that thing where you like close your eyes and you can see little squiggly things or like little dots or whatever kind of floating? You actually are seeing those because those are little squiggly things in your eyeball. Like it's in the water of your eyeball. So you actually are seeing that. So I've never really tried this, but I wonder if you like super shake your head, if it would do like those snow globes, you know, where they just kind of start spinning around. Like if you're in a swimming pool and you, and you look underwater and you see floating kind of slimy things, you actually are seeing those. So anyway, so, but so Jesus, so Jesus said this thing, and I found in my life that it's exactly as Jesus said it would be, but he said, your eye is you're, depending on what's, so your eye is the lamp of your body. And if your eye is good, if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. And it's not that your eyes are like a headlamp. It's like your eyes are a heart lamp. Like the way, what you see when you look at something 
tells you a lot about what's going on inside of you. Like your, your outlook when you look out gives you insight on your inside. Like if you, if you look at something, what you actually see when you're looking at it is conditioned by whether you're happy or sad or whether you're sweet or bitter or whether you're a loving person or a hateful person. Um, like when, when Jesus, when Jesus was dying for us, like when he was, um, when he had been nailed and um, just to wood, to a beam and a post of wood that had been nailed together in a cross and he had been nailed to it. And there were a lot of people there. And different people were looking at that, but they saw different things. Like there was a group of women from the city of Jerusalem and if you had asked them, what are you looking at? They would have told you the sweetest, kindest person who has ever lived is being treated in the most unfair way. And there were a group of people who were like, like civic and religious authorities in the city. And they were looking at him too. And if you had asked them, what are you looking at? They would have told you A person who has been extremely offensive to God is being judged for his offenses. There were soldiers there, Roman soldiers, who were just doing their job. And they were looking at him too. And if you asked them, what are you looking at? They would have told you, it's just another day. It's just another death. It's just another dollar for us. It's just that. One of Jesus's, the only one of Jesus's, the only one of Jesus's male disciples, to, there were a lot of women disciples of Jesus who were there. The only male that was there was um, named John. And if you had asked John, what are you looking at? He would have told you the light of the world is going out. Jesus's mother was there. If you had asked her, what are you looking at? She would have told you, the light of my life is going out. I believe there was only one person there who, when he was looking at Jesus dying in that horrible way, in pain and nakedness and humiliation. I believe that he was the only person who actually saw what was happening when he looked at him. And he happened to be looking at Jesus sideways because he was nailed to a post and beam beside Jesus. And if you had asked him, he would have said, the promised king, the Lord of all 
is paying for our admission into the kingdom of God. And I want to be admitted. And there's a reason. There's the reason that he understood what nobody there that day understood is because his eye was good, Jesus would say. Jesus had said. When it, the word good or his eye was healthy, the word healthy is a word that, it's a, it's a word in Greek that really means simple or single. There is one simple thing that you have to be able to see, one single simple thing that you have to be able to see if you're actually going to see almost everything around you when you look around. Okay, so one time in Luke chapter 7, it was at a dinner party. It was at a dinner party of a guy named Simon, and he was one of the, he was a leading Pharisee. And Jesus had been invited, and all of a sudden at this dinner party, uninvited, there was this woman who came into the room, and she had a super reputation for being a person who was like, whether she was a prostitute, sexually compromised in some way, whether her phone number was written with a Sharpie on the walls of bathrooms someplace or something. But everyone knew this about her, is that she was a woman who was extremely compromised in a sexual way. And she came into this room uninvited, and she ran straight to Jesus, fell at his feet, started kissing his feet. She was crying and sobbing, and her tears and her snot were on Jesus's feet, and it was awkward, and she didn't quite know what to do, and she let her hair down, which was scandalous, and wiped his feet with it, and then she began, she poured this perfume on Jesus's feet and started kissing them. So this guy is looking at this. This guy, Simon, is looking at this, and he's thinking, what am I seeing? They, I mean, there are people that say Jesus is the Messiah. If he was even a prophet, he would know what kind of person this is. It says in Proverbs chapter 7 that a prostitute will use her hair, her kisses, and perfume to attract clients. When I look at this, I see something sinful. And that illuminated the inside of him that told us that he was full of judgment. Okay, so there's at another dinner party, this is in Luke chapter 15, It's a story Jesus told. It wasn't a dinner party. It was really kind of a massive barbecue cookout thing. But there was a dad who had two sons, and one of his sons said, you know, I really kind of hate it here. It's kind of slavery living here. I feel like a slave with, you know, with my dad and all that stuff. I don't really... I don't really want to be in this family anymore. He asked his dad, could I, could I have my inheritance, which you only get when your dad is dead, which is a way of saying, I really wish you were dead. And, and I, because I don't want to live in this house anymore, I want to live far away. So his dad, 
his dad said, okay, and he gave him his inheritance and he went out and he blew it and he went crazy and he went with all of his wild friends and they were all going wild until he ran out of money, then he ran out of friends, then he ran out of everything and the only job he could get was feeding pigs and he had to eat their pig food and it was just like, pig, I mean, he, he was sick, he probably had diarrhea. I always feel that if whatever you're doing is giving you diarrhea, it's God's way of telling you, this is not working for you. And so he's just like, I think I'll just go, I, maybe I, if I stay here, I'm dead. If I go home, I don't know if my dad's gonna kill me. I don't know what my dad's gonna do, but apparently I don't know him very well, but if I go, if I stay here, I'm gonna be dead. I can just go home and ask to be one of his servants. And he didn't know that his dad was waiting for him every single day, and as soon as his dad saw him, he ran out of the house, he hurtled the hedges, he ran calling his son's name, my son, my son, my son. And then when he got there, his son had a little, little speech. He didn't let him give it. He hugged him and kissed him, hugged him and kissed him, hugged him and kissed him. No penalty, no probation. Just a gigantic party. Well, he had an older brother. And when his older brother, when he heard the dancing, and he went and looked at this and said, what is this? Oh, your brother's home. And when he looked at that and he thought, of all of my brother, after everything I've done for my dad, and he looked at all of this going on, and he saw something hurtful. And it illuminated the inside of him, which we find was full of resentment. Simon saw something sinful because he was full of judgment. And the brother saw something hurtful because he was full of resentment. There's another dinner party. This is in John chapter 12 at another guy's house named Simon, not that Simon, a different Simon. But all of a sudden, in the middle of this party, um, there was a woman, her name was Mary, and she took some perfume. It's not, this, she wasn't, it's not the same person. She might have gotten an idea from her, but she took a lot of perfume. It was probably worth forty-five dollars to $55,000. And she just poured it on Jesus, on his head, on his feet, and there was, there was one of the followers of Jesus, a guy named Judas. And he was like, I see something super wasteful. It is just a shame. He said, this should have been given to poor people. How much good could it have done if this was given to poor people? He didn't mean that. He meant this should have come my way right here because I am super committed to this movement and it has cost me a lot and I'm going to get something out of it. He saw something wasteful. It illuminated the inside of him and we find that he was filled with entitlement. So none of them, whether Simon or the brother, or Judas, actually saw what they were looking at. And it was because their eye was unhealthy. It was unsimple. There was one simple thing, one single thing that they did not see that prevented them from actually seeing anything they were looking at. But it was what the criminal nailed beside Jesus was able to see as he was nailed there, 
all of the sudden, he saw it. I am getting what I deserve. I deserve this. I deserve, for, the, for the person that I've been, for the things that I've thought, for the things that I've said, for the life that I lived, I deserve to be nailed here. I deserve to be in pain. I deserve to be in humiliation. I'm getting what I deserved. And he looked at Jesus and realized he's paying for me. He doesn't deserve any of this. He's paying my debt. He is buying my welcome. When some looked at Jesus dying that way, they saw one thing. Soldiers saw another thing. Authorities saw another thing. Jesus' mother saw another thing. But when that criminal looked at Jesus, he saw love. And he said, would you pay for me? And Jesus said, I am. So, Jesus spoke to Simon about that. And he said, Simon, um, this thing that this woman's done, you have seen nothing but um, something sinful because you're full of judgment. Can I tell you what you're looking at? This woman, so, um, she had a debt, an unpayable debt. Every human being owes to Jesus every heartbeat, every breath, their time, their life, their body, because he made them. And she had an unpayable debt, a spiritual and moral debt. We have had a time to talk, and I have assured her that I have forgiven all of her debt. And she's come here to thank me. Simon, um, I don't know if you know this, but you have a debt as well. You have an unpayable debt. You are just like her. You're actually worse because she knew it and you don't. And if you were to ask me, I would forgive your debt as well. If you were to see yourself as you should see yourself, that you are better than no one, I would forgive you too. And you would understand when you're looking at her, you wouldn't see something sinful. You would see love. So, this older brother, you know, my brother, he thought it was like being a slave living in this house. He didn't want to live in this house anymore. He didn't want to be in this family anymore. And I've been so amazing. And he comes home, and there's just this party. And you know what he said when his dad came out to talk to him about it? He said, I have slaved, what? I have slaved for you my entire life. And then this, your son, I'm, 
I don't even want to be in this family. Did this, this, and this. And you throw a party. I am not coming in your house. His younger brother thought, it's kind of slavery living here. I don't want to be in this family. I don't want to go in this house. His older brother, who was felt so hurtful because he had so much resentment, not only thought the same thing, he said it. Not only was he bad, he, he said, I, I, it's slavery living here. I don't want to be in your family, and I'm not coming in your house. He was just as bad as his brother, only worse. His brother might have thought it. He actually said it. And his dad just would say to him, if you could just see that about yourself, that you're better than no one, you're not any better than your brother. I've welcomed him home, and I would welcome you. And if he could have seen that simple thing, in looking at his brother's party, he wouldn't have seen something hurtful. He would have seen love. So Judas is looking at this thing, and it's just so wasteful. This is so wasteful. But Mary had understood something. Mary had understood something that I don't think anybody probably in the world understood. At a certain point, at a so Judas is like, she doesn't understand what's important. She's just throwing this money away. She just doesn't understand what it's worth. This is so wasteful. There was a certain point in Luke chapter 9, about six months before this, where Jesus began to tell his closest friends for the first time that he was going to go to Jerusalem and that he was going to be mistreated and arrested and that he was going to be killed and that he was going to rise from the dead. And he was going to do it to pay our debt so that we could be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And none of his friends would listen to it. They didn't understand it. They didn't want to talk about it. And they didn't want to ask him anything about it. And then in the next chapter, he went to the house of these friends, Mary and Martha. And he found someone who would listen to him. As he explained this, I personally believe that Mary may have been the only person who understood that when Jesus got to Jerusalem, he was going to give his body and he was going to give his blood to pay for our admission and our welcome into his home. And she understood that there, that there was nothing more important and more valuable in this world than the body that Jesus was going to give for us. And she gave the greatest present she knew because it was the most valuable thing that there was because it was the only way that we could get our debt paid and welcomed home. And Jesus would have said to Judas, If you understood what was important, you might not be wasting the most important opportunity you have ever had in your life. You're not better than anyone. We're just as bad as anyone 
But if our Christian faith means anything to us, like I think that we live in a time when we're trying to understand what does it mean to be a Christian in confusing days, but if it means anything to us, it should mean this, I am better than no one. In the things that I've done and said and thought in my life, in some ways, I'm, there's really nobody that's been bad like me. I'm kind of uniquely bad. But um, everything that I have in my life is a gift of God. I should have been thrown away. But God the Father did not want to throw me away. He wanted to keep me. He wanted to welcome me home. And Jesus, God the Son, paid my debt so that I could be forgiven of all the mess that I've made and that I could belong to him and that I could be in that family and that I could go to that home and that I could be welcomed there. And my life is a gift to me. And everything that I have in my life that's good, I didn't deserve it. It's a gift to me. And the fact that I belong to a God so loving, it is a gift to me. And I am nothing but thankful. And when I wake up in the morning, I do not wake up with a sense of entitlement. That day is a gift to me. And I, and I have a God who loves me. And I'm going to spend that day looking for love and trying to see nothing but love. And when I meet people in the, the day, and you know, everyone I meet, I am not going to spend one second in judgment. I don't have the right to judge anybody in this world. I am no better than anyone. And I just want opportunities to love. I just want, in what I'm looking at, I want to see love. And if I have problems, and I'm going to have problems, I don't want to look at my problems with resentment. My problems are an opportunity for me to trust a God of love. If I understand one simple thing, that I am better than no one, but my debt has been paid by someone who loves me, and I've been welcomed into a family by a God who loves me, and I'm going to go to his home one day, and it's going to be nothing but love. Everywhere I look, I want to see love. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm just thankful. I have a friend. Um, can I read you something that a friend of mine wrote? Um, there are some people that super get this. He is the air we breathe. He is the food we eat. He is the water we drink. He is the very essence of our souls. Oh, this was written by a friend of mine. He's about 70. Um, but he committed an armed robbery in the 70s, and he got life without the possibility of parole. And he spent the 70s and the 80s 
and the 90s, and up until 2019, in prison. And he asked the governor for a parole hearing, and the governor gave him a parole hearing. But he is a person who understands, like few people, that his life for a long time has been a gift, and that his, his debt was forgiven, and he was welcomed home a long time ago. And uh, he is one of the, he is a sunbeam of East Knoxville. Whatever we need, he will give to us. For example, if fallen in life, in our faith or spirit, he is able to reach down, pick us up, and stand us up. If we're stressed, troubled, or going through a crisis in our life, he can calm us and give us peace. We need to get past it. If we're sad or unhappy, he can give us the joy we need in our hearts and minds. If we love, if we need love, he can give us a heavenly, holy love that is godly and pure and will last forever. If you feel all alone and no one cares, call on him. He cares. With him, you will never walk alone again. Simply put, Jesus is the way to what you truly need. Jesus is the truth of what you surely need. Jesus is the life of everything you will ever need. Amen. Amen. So... As we take this bread, take this cup, you don't have to be, we remember, so this is something that we do to remember oh, once a month, but this is something that we should remember every single, single, single day. It's the one simple thing that we should see about our life. It's the one single thing that we should see about our life, that I am better than no one, but all of my life, and all of, my, all of my life is a gift. All of my debt is paid. And my, I am welcomed into the Father's party because of love. Let's remember it now. But let's remember it all, all, all the time. Won't you come? Well, I want to see through your eyes. My life is your life. Make every single day another chance to say I want to please you more I want to love you, Lord I want to live like I'm your child And I want to make you smile today
Like I'm a child